Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you love us so much, that you gave your Son to die for us. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for being in heaven, interceding on our behalf. Lord, please be with us as we open your word tonight. Give us understanding on this most important topic tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's message uh, is going to be dealing with the subject of the judgment. The judgment. Now, um, the popular concept of the judgment is that after a person dies, each individual dies, they go and they stand before God and God judges them on their life after they have died. And we're going to look through the scriptures tonight and we're going to see what the Bible actually says about the judgment. And of course, in order to rightly understand the judgment, we are going to take a look at the sanctuary, that a building that God instructed Moses to build in the wilderness. He said in Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. And you'll remember in our past um, studies that we learned that there was a sanctuary where in heaven that Satan had defiled and that sanctuary represented the government of God, the throne of God. And when Satan had defiled the sanctuary, he was put out of the sanctuary and eventually cast out, um, cast out of heaven. Again, tonight's subject is entitled The Judgment or The Investigative Judgment. And I'm going to try to make this so simple tonight that you will just, I mean, everything will just be crystal clear. You won't have any questions. Does that sound good? Okay, I hope I can do that. All right. We're going to take a look at that special day in the Hebrew year called the Day of Atonement. And we have spoken about this a little before, but I want to just run you through it again. During the Jewish or the Hebrew year, there were certain holy days uh, or holidays. And these, there were seven ceremonial Sabbaths. We talked about that last night. The Day of Atonement was one of the highest days, perhaps the highest day of the Jewish year. Now, throughout the Jewish year, uh, if a person uh, committed a sin, they would get a lamb and they would put their hands over the head of that lamb. They would take that lamb down to the sanctuary, that is, put their hands over the head of that lamb and then they would confess their sins over that lamb. Can I get my microphone turned down a little, please? Thank you. Um, they would put their, head, their hands over the head of that lamb and they would confess their sins over the head of that lamb. What did that symbolize? It symbolized that sins were being transferred or the person's sin was being transferred from himself to the, to the lamb, to the animal. Once that was done, they would then take a knife and cut the throat of the animal because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? is death. And so that animal, which represented who? 
Jesus, who died for our sins, that animal represented Jesus. Once that animal was killed and his blood was caught in that basin, the priest would then take that blood and sprinkle it upon the altar of sacrifice, which was found right in the outer court. Here is the tent, and this is the outer court. The priest would sprinkle that blood on the altar of sacrifice. Depending on who it was, if it was a ruler um, or a king, the priest would come in and he would sprinkle the blood on the altar of incense inside the holy place. Now remember, let me go back here real quick. This tent was divided into two parts. What you just saw here is the first part of that tent, which is called the holy place, with the altar of incense, the seven-branch candlestick, and the table of showbread. And then, well, let me go back a little bit. During the year, he would, uh, the priest would come continually. He'd be sprinkling blood on the altar of incense or sprinkling blood on the altar of sacrifice. Now, one day out of the Jewish or out of the year called the Day of Atonement, on that day and that day only, the priest went into this compartment, the most holy place. That's the only day he could enter into that compartment. What had been happening on the altar of incense and the altar of sacrifice throughout the year. Blood was being what? Put upon that altar. What did that blood represent? Or rather, that blood blood being placed upon the altar, what was symbolically being transferred to the altar? Sin. So the sanctuary became what the Bible calls defiled. It was defiled with the sins of repentant People, Okay, is that clear? They had confessed their sins. Priests took the, the blood, sprinkled it on the altars. There was the record of sins then placed upon the altar of incense and on the altar of sacrifice out in the outer court. Now, let's go ahead and look. This is again the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where the Bible tells us God's throne was in heaven. With the two covering angels over the Shekinah glory. And one of those angels was who? Lucifer. The Bible calls him the covering cherub that was in the presence of God until sin or iniquity was found in him. So you have here the altar of, I'm sorry, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the priest would come into this place once a year. And so basically, you'll remember that I explained it like this once. Here you've got the sins being piled up, piled up, piled up all throughout the year. Much like we, during the week, we put out our garbage every day. But the, the kitchen or the, the garbage is not yet what? It's not yet gone. We put it to the side of the house. Every day we get rid of the garbage. But it's actually piling up at the side of the house. And then one day out of the week, who comes along? The garbage truck, he takes all that garbage and carries it out into a desolate place. Amen? And then it is that, 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 that what it means is that you no longer have to think about the garbage. Now, like I asked you before, when you put the garbage out that night, is your mind clear of the garbage? Yes and no, because even though you put it out, it's at the side of the house, you still have to remember to take it to the front of the house for the garbage truck to come get it. The garbage people will not come, right? 
would be nice, but they would not come. And if they come and your garbage is not out, then guess what? You're stuck with the garbage. How many of you want to be stuck with the garbage of sin? Not me. All right, so here you have, this is a bird's eye view of the sanctuary. Altar of sacrifice, the laver, the priest would sprinkle the blood, sprinkle the blood. And on that one day, he entered into this compartment here for the purpose of doing what was called cleansing the sanctuary. It happened once a year, and the Bible says, And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins. How many times? Once a year, this represented the final atonement. Were the children of Israel forgiven? When you went into the sanctuary and confessed your sins, were you forgiven immediately? Yes, Yes, you were forgiven immediately. Yet, the sin had not been completely what? Dealt with. You, You went away free, but the sin still had to be dealt with. So on the day of atonement, they were the children of Israel were to gather around the sanctuary to have their sins atoned for, all their sins throughout the year that had been piling up in the sanctuary, according to Leviticus 16, verse 34. Leviticus 16, by the way, the entire chapter is speaking about the day of atonement. Now notice again, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the what? Veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will do what? Appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Leviticus 16.2. Now this is interesting. This is talking about the day of atonement. On the day of atonement, God said, I will do what? Appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Now if you read about the sanctuary in the Old Testament, you'll notice that the sanctuary had two things hovering over it. By night, it was a flame of what? Fire. Who was in that fire? It was God. By day, it was a cloud of smoke. Who was, in that, who was in that smoke, that cloud? It was God. But on the day of atonement, he appears where? In the cloud and upon the mercy seat. So it's not as though the presence of God was in the sanctuary, in the, in the most holy place every day of the year. On that day, it's as though he all of a sudden comes to his what? comes to his seat. It's as though he comes to this mercy seat. He is now taking a seat to sit in judgment. And the day of atonement was known or was considered among the Hebrews the day of judgment. So if you can imagine it, it's like a judge coming in to take his what? His seat. That's the kind of idea you get from the day of atonement. Notice a couple other things. And remember this because all this is going to come back as we move on. The Day of Atonement, it it says here, And he shall take a censer, that is the high priest, full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. In other words, the priest was to take some uh, some, uh, sweet incense off of the altar of incense and bring it with him Into the most holy place, it goes on to say, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the what? Incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So when the high priest 
entered into the most holy place, he was surrounded by what? By smoke or by a cloud. So these are some of the things that that are kind of bringing the idea of judgment to our minds. He comes into the most holy place and he is surrounded by incense or the Bible calls it a cloud. Let's go on. That's Leviticus 16, 13. There is a ram and a goat involved in this day. Notice what the Bible says here. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one what? Ram for a burnt offering, Leviticus 16, verse 5. Now, this was the only day that these were the only two animals involved in the, or these two animals were involved in the service, were integrated in the service. In other words, if you said to a Hebrew, listen, uh, ram and goat, what day does that bring to your mind in terms of offering? They would say what? Day of atonement, ram and goat, Leviticus 16, verse 5. Want to notice some other things. Casting lots is a term for determining destinies. Look at what it says here. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall, that was a high priest, Moses' brother. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for who? The Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. These goats represented opposite powers. One was for who? The Lord. And the other is called the scapegoat or Azazel. The Bible calls it. Calls that scapegoat. Casting lots was a determination or a judgment of these two goats' future. Because we'll see later that one of these goats was to die and the other one was to be sent out into the wilderness. So when they cast lots, it was a judgment going on between these two goats. So the Day of Atonement, again, represents a day of what? Judgment. Leviticus 16, 7 and 8. It also says, and he shall go out onto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger seven times and what? Cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Leviticus 16, 18 and 19. So on the day of atonement, on that special day, the sanctuary was to be what? Cleansed from the sins of Israel. So we've got a couple of things here that we're learning about the sanctuary, about what the Day of Atonement symbolized. Let's recap those. One, the Shekinah glory appears in where? The most holy place, as though he's taking his seat for judgment. Number two, the priest goes into the most holy. Number three, there is a cloud surrounding the priest as he enters into the most holy. Number four, a ram and a goat are involved in this day of atonement. Number five, there is a determination of destinies or a judgment. And number six, the sanctuary record is what? Cleansed. So now we have a good idea of what the day of atonement was all about. Now let's go ahead and move into our study of the judgment, which we have already begun. I guess I shouldn't have said it that way. We're going to do a little recap of some prophecies we've been learning about in the book of Daniel. And for those of you who may not have been here before, we have the tapes out there. Uh, you can get them. 
and I'm just going to kind of speed through these. Remember that in Daniel chapter 2, there is a vision given to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a dream rather, and in that dream he sees a statue of a man, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, toes of iron, and what? Clay. Very good. He doesn't know what the dream means. He uh, calls his wise men in. They can't tell him the interpretation. He gets angry. He says, kill them all. But Daniel, who is a Hebrew slave, says, hold on. Give me a night. Let me go talk to who? God. And I will tell you what this dream means. So Daniel goes. He prays. And he gets the answer. And we basically found out that the head of gold represented who? Babylon, which was Nebuchadnezzar's empire. The chest and arms of silver represented Persia or Medo-Persia, the uh, thighs of bronze represented Greece, the legs represented Rome, and the toes of iron and clay represented divided Europe, which what Daniel had done was he had laid out the entire history of humanity from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar all the way down through the ages. And where are we now, beloved? We are in the time of the toes. We're in the time where the kingdoms of the world are divided. And then we read the next thing that was to happen was that this stone cut out without hands would come and do what? Smite the image on its feet. Now remember, we saw here concerning the sanctuary. Remember we learned that this image or these kingdoms, the reason why God names them is because they all, Satan through these kingdoms, attempted to attack the what? Sanctuary. Okay, very good. Babylon destroyed the temple. You remember that they, that's how they took Israel captive. They took them captive, destroyed the temple. Medo-Persia gave a decree that the, that the Jews could rebuild their temple. But then the process was what? Hindered in the Medo-Persian Empire. The devil did not want that temple to be rebuilt because the Bible says, Thy Way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. The sanctuary explains the entire plan of salvation. So these kingdoms are whom Satan was using to try to destroy the sanctuary so that mankind could not have a good idea, a plain view of the plan of what? Salvation, okay? We saw that Greece desecrated or profaned the temple under Antiochus Epiphanes. And then finally, Rome did what? Destroyed the temple in 70 AD. We know that during this Roman Empire, that's the time that Jesus himself was on planet Earth, lived and died, uh, was a perfect sacrifice, and then he ascended where? When Jesus died, what happened to the temple that was on Earth? The veil of the temple was what? Was rent in two which signified that the earthly temple had accomplished its mission, and now Jesus ascends into the heavenly temple or sanctuary. Now, here is the most crucial and important question, or one of the most crucial and important questions of tonight. Where did Jesus enter? When he entered into that sanctuary, the heavenly temple, in which compartment did Jesus go? Where? Don't follow the dot. I'm just asking you. <laughs> Think about it. Jesus, because this is the, the, the pattern that he laid out, he must follow the what? 
He's got to follow the pattern that he gave us. Isn't that right? This is his pattern. This is him saying, this is how the plan of salvation is going to work. So, did the high priest just enter into the most holy place whenever he wanted to? No. During the year, he entered frequently. His first, the first part of his mission was a ministry that took place where? In the holy place. And the last part of his mission, or the closing part of his mission, took place in the most holy place. So we read in Hebrews 9.12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So the scripture tells us then that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he entered into the holy place. Now don't think, well, does this mean that Jesus was not in the presence of God. As I said before, beloved, that the sanctuary in heaven is filled with the presence of God. Amen? So it's not as though Jesus was just like, well, I wonder when I get to go into the Father. I can't go in now because I might die. No, not at all. Remember, the earthly sanctuary was just a model. It was an imperfect model. The priest could not do what Jesus as our high priest could do. That's why there had to be a veil. He would die. Jesus Christ is not going to die in the presence of God, beloved. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus enters into the holy place simply to do a work there on our behalf. When John the Revelator saw Jesus first, he says, I turned, in Revelation 1 verse 11, I believe it is, I turned to see who it was that was speaking with me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and one standing in the midst of those candlesticks whom he said was who? Jesus, like the son of man. Okay, so we know that when Jesus died, he entered not not into the where? Most holy place, but into the holy place, just like the pattern. The clay kingdom that arises after Rome, it is said of this kingdom We know that it was a professed spiritual kingdom. Why? Because clay in the Bible represents what? Remember, you are the, or we are the potter. (laughs) We, uh, you are the potter. We are the what? Clay. Clay represents a people that profess to be molded by who? God, that profess to say, God, we are your people. Whatever you want us to do, you mold us, you make us. Clay represents that which is moldable by God. But you have this kingdom here, a professed spiritual kingdom that is intermingled with the kingdoms or the kings of the world. In other words, they're not married to God, but they are intermingled with what? Earthly kingdoms, and powers. And we see that Satan uses this very same kingdom to war, just like he used all the other kingdoms to war against the temple. Now he's going to use this what? Clay kingdom to war against the temple. The question is, which temple does this clay kingdom war against? I'm sorry, did I say that right? Which temple... Which temple does this clay kingdom war against? What's the only temple that this kingdom can war against? The heavenly. Why? Because in the Roman Empire, they did what to the temple? 
destroyed it. Christ said it will be desolate forever. He goes into heaven and ascends and, and begins his work in the heavenly temple, in the heavenly sanctuary. So the clay kingdom is going to try to attack what? The heavenly sanctuary. All right. Now, remember that in Daniel 2, we talked about that stone being cut out without hands and it smites the image on his feet. And we saw that that stone represented the second coming of Jesus Christ. How many of you are waiting for the second coming of Jesus? Amen. When he destroys all these kingdoms and sets up his own kingdom. But I want you to notice something. This stone represents a judgment against this image. How many of you understand that? The stone coming out, cut, being cut out without hands and smiting the image on the feet represents that there is a judgment against this image and we would call that the executive or executive judgment. In other words, something must have taken place in the kingdom of heaven to decide that this image should be what? Should be destroyed. In other words, God is a just God. He doesn't just go and say, you know what, I'm going to destroy that thing right there and just destroy it. No, there must have been some reason or something taking place in heaven that, that, uh, this, that decided the fate of, this, of these kingdoms. And we call it the executive judgment. Here is a very important principle for us to understand, beloved, that where there is an executive judgment, there must first be an investigative judgment judgment. In other words, you don't send someone to the electric chair before you investigate whether they are worthy of the electric chair. Does that make sense? There must be an what? Investigation before there can be the execution of the sentence. Well, what does that let us know, beloved? That before Jesus comes again, there must be a what? Judgment. Is that clear? Before Jesus comes again, before that stone is cut out without hands and destroys the, the kingdoms of this world, there must have been a judgment that took place to decide the fate of, of these kingdoms. And that's what we're going to look at. We now know, just according to Daniel 2, that the judgment must take place not after you die and, and you die and now you go stand before the throne, there must be a judgment that takes place while men are living, while men are walking upon the earth. A judgment must be going on in heaven that will decide who will be saved and who will be what? Lost. Because if Jesus comes back and he says, my reward is with me, it must mean that there was a prior determination of who gets the reward. I want you to look at this principle. We talked about this a little bit. The principle of nothing new, only more detail. And we're going to use this principle in going to the next chapter of Daniel 7. The next prophetic chapter of Daniel 7. Remember that principle? In the book of Daniel, through all the prophecies, there is nothing new, only more detail. Very good. What does that mean? It means that once we understand that image, the head of gold down to the toes of clay, throughout the rest of the book of Daniel, you're not going to find anything new, only more what? Details. So let's go ahead and look at Daniel 7, and you guys will be able to tell me. There is described in Daniel 7 four beasts, and it says that these beasts represent nations. How many 
kingdoms are represented or spoken of in Daniel chapter 2? Four. Very good. So we already know who these four beasts are in Daniel 7. The beast, the first beast, which is like a lion, must represent what kingdom? Babylon. Very good. The second beast, which is like a bear, must represent what kingdom? Medo-Persia. The third beast, which is like a leopard having four heads, must coincide with the? With Greece. And by the way, the reason why that leopard has four heads is because when Alexander died, leaving his kingdom, or he left his kingdom rather, to four generals. That's what those four heads represent. Again, the Bible as a book of prophecies surpasses any other book out there. There's no other book that lays out the future like the Bible does. All right? The next beast was a nondescript beast, almost like a dragon, that had great iron teeth. Who must that beast represent, everyone? Rome. Very good. This beast had ten... Let me go back. Had ten horns on his head. What must these ten horns coincide with? The ten toes. Very good. Now, do you think we're going to find something that represents the clay? If there is nothing new but only more detail. Yes, we must. Among those ten horns, the Bible says there comes up another little horn. It says, I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming up among the ten horns. So among the ten horns, you now have this little horn. Just like among the ten toes of iron, you now have what? Clay. So the clay of Daniel 2 is the very same as the little horn of Daniel 7. Very good. I want you to notice what it says right after this little horn is described in Daniel 7. Verse 8. It says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did what? Now let me ask you Bible scholars a question. Okay, that wasn't funny. Okay. Do you see anything here that rings a bell? The ancient of days did what? Sit. What's coming to your mind? Day of what? Man, you guys are brilliant. Day of atonement. Now, I just want you to notice this here because what the Bible is trying to show us, it's almost like a picture. You take a picture far away and you see some things, but you're not seeing things clearly. You got some questions. So you come up closer or you zoom in. And when you zoom in and take that same picture, maybe from a different angle, you see things close up that you didn't see what? Far away. And Daniel 2, all we see is, man, God must be pretty upset with this image for some reason. Um, you know, there's a stone that's cut out without, is God unfair? Does he just smite the stone without giving it a... But then we find in Daniel 7 that there must be a what? Judgment before that stone smote the image. Do you get that? In other words, before, before this thing happens, listen to what it says. Let's read on. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as what? Burning fire. Now, isn't that interesting? God's throne has what? Wheels, which means it's a movable throne. God's throne is able to move. And notice what it says in Daniel 7 verse 10. Very next verse. 
a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Those are angels. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Those are angels as well. The judgment was what? Set and the books were opened. Remember that the day of atonement we said was like a day of what? Judgment. And it decided whose sins would be cleansed and who did not have their cleansed or who, or who would be cut off. We actually didn't look at that. We will look at that. Those who were not ready for this judgment on the day of atonement were cut off. So now if we go back to Daniel 2 and we see head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, toes of iron and clay, and then stone does what? Smites the image and destroys it. We go, hmm. We go to Daniel 7, and now we see a little more detail. Lion, leopard, or lion, bear, leopard, dragon, ten horns, and then little horn. And then all of a sudden, the Bible shift our, shifts, uh, shifts our eyes from that which is earthly to a heavenly scene where a judgment commences. You following so far? This judgment commences. God comes in. The Bible describes God as though he is coming in and he sits on his throne. And then it says the judgment was what? Set and the books were opened. This, beloved, must take place before that stone of Daniel 2 does what? Smites the image. Very, very good. I want you to notice in that same chapter, it now says, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with, the, I'm going to read this part real slow, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Does this ring a bell? High priest, when he came before the Ancient of Days, who had now taken a seat, he came in with what? A cloud, incense. Here you have Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven. Now some people say, well, this must be Jesus first going to heaven. But there's a problem with that. What's the problem? When does this scene take place? At the same time that who is ruling on the earth? The little horn. And the little horn is ruling way after the Roman Empire. Isn't that right? The little horn comes up on the scene way after the Roman Empire. So this cannot be Jesus ascending to heaven. It must be Jesus moving from one place to another. Where, pray tell, do you think this could symbolize Jesus moving from and to? The holy place into the most holy place. Man, you guys are just, you guys make me so happy. All right. Daniel 7 reveals then the reason for the investigative judgment. Now notice what it says about this little horn. It says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That means persecute them. And think to change times and 
laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. In other words, the Bible tells us here that the reason that this judgment takes place, the reason why this image in Daniel 2 is struck, uh, is finally destroyed, it now gives us a close up and says, hey, you know that rock back, I mean that clay kingdom back in Daniel 2? Let me show it to you using another symbol in Daniel 7. I'm going to use it as, I'm going to use a symbol of a little what? Horn. Watch what this little horn does. He speaks blasphemous words against who? The Most High. He persecutes who? The saints of the Most High. And he thinks to change times and laws. And we learned yesterday that the laws that this little horn seeks to change are what two commandments? The second and the fourth, do not bow down to graven images and also the, remember the Sabbath day, six days shall thy labor and do all thy work, but the what? Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. What has he done? He has scratched out that seventh and said what? The first day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And we have seen clearly through the scripture yesterday, the tape is out there. That the seventh day is God's Sabbath, not the first day. And God even told us that this little horn power would think to do what? Change times and his laws. The laws found in the heavenly what? Sanctuary. Now here's the amazing thing. We saw that in Daniel 2, this clay kingdom represented a kingdom that says, God, we are your what? People. So watch this now. Daniel 7 tells us that this little horn is doing... Can you imagine this? A kingdom that professes to serve God and yet is speaking what? Great words against the Most High. A kingdom that professes to serve God and yet is persecuting who? The saints of the Most High. A kingdom that professes to serve God and yet is daring to change God's times and laws. Now you can understand why God is pretty upset. Because when a kingdom represents God, it should represent God in spirit and in what? Truth. But here you have this power that rises up on the scene sometime after the Roman Empire that says we are God's people and yet they're persecuting thousands and millions of God's people. They're changing times and laws and they're speaking blasphemous words against the Most High. And now notice what verse 26 says. Right after it describes what the little horn does, it says, but the judgment shall what? Sit. And they shall take away his dominion to consume it and to destroy it unto the end. Beloved, the purpose of the judgment is to take away the dominion of this little horn over this world. Who is the one behind the little horn? Satan. So it's really ultimately to take away the dominion of who? Very good. How many of you can't wait for the judgment? Yes, beloved. It's the judgment that takes away the dominion of Satan. Not just the dominion in a general sense, but it takes away the dominion of Satan's empire over you. In other words, something about the judgment takes away Satan's dominion over your life. Does the judgment sound like a good thing? Yeah. You know, when we think about the judgment, we usually get this scary picture. 
Oh, the judgment. How will I fare in the judgment? Beloved, God is trying to tell us that the purpose of the judgment is to save you or to take you out from under Satan's dominion. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, whose dominion did they fall under? Satan's. They fell under his law, the law law of sin and death. The judgment is that which reverses what Satan is doing in our lives. Listen, Psalms 119, 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not any what? Iniquity have dominion over me. The judgment, beloved, gives us the power to remove or to get out from under the dominion of Satan's empire. The judgment shall sit to take away his what? His dominion, his power, his government over your life personally. Beloved, we ought to be looking joyfully for the judgment. Amen? Amen. Notice again, for sin shall not have what? Dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Remember we saw that under the law simply meant that you are no longer law breakers, but law keepers. Why should we be law keepers? Because there is a law in the heavenly sanctuary, beloved, the law of self Sacrificing love, which spelled out for dummies, is the Ten Commandments. Very good. You guys are getting smarter every night. All right. Satan's throne. I want you to look carefully at this, beloved. Satan's throne or his dominion. Remember the judgment shall sit to take away his dominion. And part of his dominion is falsehood. When the judgment begins, beloved, whenever that is, when the judgment begins, it is for the purpose of taking away what? Falsehood. How many of you are tired of falsehoods? You know, you hear a lot out there about the Bible today, and a lot of it, beloved, is what? Falsehood. And sometimes we just don't know how to tell the difference. Well, the Bible tells us that the judgment is going to take away Satan's dominion or take away what? Falsehood. It's also going to take away confusion. How many of you have been confused about the Bible? Man, you know, why are there so many different, and how come you believe this and this one believes that? And, you you know, there's some people who have come here and they've been like, oh man, this is incredible. But they've probably gone somewhere else and they said, hey, hey, don't go there, don't listen. And it's all a bunch of what? Confusion. God says the judgment is going to take away the dominion, Satan's dominion of confusion. And in the judgment, you will see what? Clearly. It takes away iniquity out of our lives. How many of you struggle with iniquity? God says in the judgment, I'm going to show you how to get out from under Satan's dominion of iniquity. When I think about this, beloved, I'm like, yes, the judgment is a wonderful thing. Not that scary thing that we're taught. You better be the judgment. Aren't you scared? No, beloved. Satan's dominion is also the dominion of selfishness. God says in the judgment, I will give you the victory over what? Over selfishness. I will take you out from under the dominion of selfishness, which is Satan's throne. Remember God's throne was the law or represented the law of self-sacrificing love. Satan's throne is the law of do what I want to do. 
The law of selfishness. The law of self-centeredness. All these things, beloved. Addictions. Everything you can think of under Satan's throne. God says in the judgment, I plan to make my final move to give you the ultimate and final victory over all these things so that you can stand clear and be bold in that judgment. How many of you would like to be bold in that judgment? Knowing that you have nothing to fear. God says in the judgment, when that judgment begins, these are all the things that are going to take place. Now remember our principle, nothing new, only more what? Detail. Now we're going to move over to Daniel 8. Because we've got a better picture of the judgment, but there's still more for us to see. So in Daniel 8, it begins with another vision of two animals now. And I want you to notice what one of those animals was. In Daniel 8, verse 3 and 4, we read about a he-goat. Ring any bells? Ring any bells? Okay. We read about a he-goat, and this he-goat is said to uh, be going across the whole planet, and he's got all this power, and none can stand before him. But then, a ram... Is now seen. And the ram runs onto the he goat and stomps upon the he goat and overpowers the he goat. Now, these again represent kingdoms. It says, And I saw him close, come close unto the ram, and he was moved with anger against him, and smote the ram, and broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hands. I had that backwards. It was a ram, it was a uh, it was a ram first. That's right. It was a ram first and then the he goat. Now the ram had two horns. Let me ask you, just by principle of deduction, nothing new, only more detail. Who do you think that ram might represent from Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter seven? This ram has two horns. Medo-Persia. Very good. The two kingdoms that come together, that ram represented Medo-Persia, and then the he-goat who runs onto it must represent who? Must represent Greece. Very good. And then it jumps to, to start describing this little horn. It says, and out of one of them came forth a what? Little horn. Now, who must that, must that little horn represent? The same power in Daniel 7 the same little horn. That same little horn power that Satan is using, that is going to use, and Satan will use in these last days. It says, out of one of them came forth a little horn, and it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. Sounds just like the little horn of Daniel 7, right? Waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground, that is God's people, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to who? The prince of the host, that would be who, everyone? Je no, the prince of the host would be Jesus. In other words, this little horn magnifies himself even to Jesus, the prince of the host of heaven. Okay? And by him, by this little horn, the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast where? Down. And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. So Daniel 7 tells us about this little horn that persecutes the people of God and changes times and laws. But Daniel 8 now tells us, listen, the little horn does even more. He exalts himself against who? The prince of the host, 
And this little horn cast down what sanctuary? The heavenly sanctuary. And it cast down the truth to the ground. In other words, this little horn now is responsible for casting down truth to the ground. And it practices and prospers through casting down truth to the ground. And this is a spiritual power that professes to represent who? God. That's Daniel 8, 11, and 12. The little horn of Daniel 8 is the same as the little horn of Daniel 7, the same as the clay kingdom of Daniel 2, okay? Now, listen to the very next verse that comes up in Daniel 8. After it describes this little horn and what he does, casting down the sanctuary. And by the way, the way it casts down the sanctuary is not that it goes up into heaven and throws down the sanctuary. It simply diverts divert men's mind from the heavenly sanctuary and sets up its own sanctuary, so to speak. Don't go to Jesus. Come to us for forgiveness. Don't go to the high priest. Don't go to, uh, 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 you don't have to, or you can't go to Jesus. You must come through us. We are the, the avenue of salvation. And so this power casts down the sanctuary by turning men's minds from the high priest in heaven to dead saints, to priests, and a bunch of other things. This is how we cast down the sanctuary. And then Daniel 8, 14, 13 and 14, Daniel says, Then I heard, after this whole vision, then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spoke, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Let me rephrase that question for you because I know it looks confusing. The question basically is, how long will the little horn practice and prosper before the truth of the sanctuary is brought back to light? 2,300 days is the answer. Now, we have learned in Bible prophecy that a day equals a what? A year. Now let me, we need to find out the answer to this question. Before we do that, let's look at this. The cleansing of the sanctuary is equal to the antitypical what? Day of atonement. When, when, the, when the angel says, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, in Daniel's mind, what is he hearing? Then will the judgment, what? Begin or commence. And I want you to notice the, similar, the, similar, the similarities here between the Day of Atonement and what we've just read. One, in the Day of Atonement, what did you have? The Shekinah glory appears on the seat, casting of lots, representing judgment. High priest comes into the Most Holy, comes with incense or a cloud. There are ram, there's a ram and goats, and the sanctuary is to be cleansed. What we have read in Daniel 7 and 8 is that the Ancient of Days is what? Is seated. The judgment is set. The high priest comes to the seat of, of, of the Father or the Ancient of Days. He comes with clouds. Daniel 8 begins with a ram and a he-goat. And then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Is this clear so far? Okay, very good. You're following right along. Now, 
Daniel needs some answers. The sanctuary being vindicated. What does it mean? And that's the same word for cleanse. The Hebrew word actually also represents vindicated. Listen, do you remember in heaven? Not that you've been there, but do you remember in Ezekiel 28? Speaking about heaven, where the Bible says of Satan that he had done what? Defiled the sanctuaries. And how did he defile it? By the multitude of his what? Iniquity and by the iniquity of his traffic. Now, what do we say traffic represented? When you're selling illegal goods, you're trafficking. It says Satan began to traffic some things in heaven, and this is what defiled the sanctuary. It says, by the multitude of thy what? Merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. What was Satan trafficking about the sanctuary? Lies and what? Falsehoods. Lies and falsehoods. So when the Bible says also that in 2300 days, the sanctuary will be vindicated or cleansed. Remember, when Satan was cast out of heaven, he and his angels that he had been selling these lies to, when they came to earth, they began to sell the same lies to who? To Adam and Eve. You don't need a law to be holy. You don't have to follow God. And these lies have been going on and on and on throughout history. Well, the Bible says even among church people, You don't need a law to be holy. You don't need a law to be like God. Well, the judgment says that when that, the uh, Daniel 8 says when that judgment begins, the sanctuary is finally going to be what? Cleansed or vindicated. And understanding will begin to grow among people saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm not buying your lies anymore, Satan. Somebody say amen. I'm not buying your merchandise anymore, Satan. No, 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 no. There is something to this heavenly sanctuary. There is something to the law of God. Then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. You guys are following along really well. All Satan's falsehoods will be revealed in this judgment. When this judgment begins, the falsehoods are revealed. The judgment is a reversal of faulty Rulings. Have any of you ever been falsely accused of something? I think we all have been, beloved. And many martyrs, you know, there are many martyrs who have died. People thought, well, yep, they're guilty. They wouldn't do this or wouldn't think that or wouldn't confess this or wouldn't repent. Well, the judgment reverses, the, judge, the heavenly judgment reverses these faulty rulings. Notice what the Bible says, Psalms 94, 20 and 21. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and do what? Condemn the innocent blood. In the judgment, beloved, God reverses judgments that have been falsely made against his people. How many of you? That sounds good. Does that sound good? Yes, beloved. Listen. It says, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that do what? Condemn his soul. Psalms 109.31. The judgment is not a scary thing, beloved, if you have Jesus. If you have faith, the beloved is not a, I mean, the judgment is not a scary thing. He that justified the wicked and he that condemned the just, even both are an abomination to the Lord. Do you hear people today calling holy things evil and evil things good? In the judgment, all these things are made clear. According to Proverbs 17, 
verse 15. You have condemned and killed the just and he does not resist you. God says in the judgment, I'm going to reverse all these things. That's why you and I can look forward to the judgment. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be what? Condemned with the world. Is a judgment a good thing? God says, I'm, I'm, I, am, I want you to be a part of this judgment that you should not be condemned with the world. The judgment reverses condemnation. Listen, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Beloved, we're already condemned. We are under condemnation, but the judgment says, if you believe in me, I'm going to save you from what? From condemnation. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation to them which are in who? Christ Jesus who walked not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned what? Sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Does God want the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in us? Yes, I want you to notice this, beloved. Listen, this is beautiful. Satan came to condemn us in what? Sin. Christ came to condemn sin in us. You see the difference? The judgment reveals whose authority or who has authority in our lives. The judgment reveals who's winning. The judgment reveals are you allowing Satan to condemn you in sin or are you allowing Christ to condemn sin in you? And what is sin? Transgression of the law. Very good. Okay. Now, whew, my time. Vision explained. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Medo-Persia. You guys were right. The rough goat is the king of who? Greece. You were right. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. It's not talking about the little horn. It's talking about the horn on the head of this rough goat. The Bible goes on to say, And in the latter time of their, of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This is the little horn. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall do what? Destroy the mighty and the holy people. Daniel 8, 23, 24. This is the little horn. So notice now, the book of Daniel chapter 8, trust me on this, ends, Daniel is told, this is who the, horn, the, the ram represents, this is who the goat represents. This is who the little horn represents. But there is one thing that is not explained to him. What is it? The 2300 days. He doesn't have a starting point. So in Daniel 9, Daniel is praying and he's praying for understanding. And then he gets a visit again from an angel. And I want to show you very briefly that the angel is about to speak to him and says, I've, I've come to give you understanding. What must the angel be getting ready to tell Daniel? What would you want to know if you heard in 2300 days, the sanctuary is going to be cleansed? When does it start so that you can know when it ends? Well... We're given the starting point of the prophecy. 
in Daniel 9.25, the angel says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, and we can just stop right here. What has the angel just done? He is given Daniel. Why does it say, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem? Daniel, start counting from when? From the command. So all we need to do, historically speaking, is find out when did that command go forth, and then we count 2,300 what? Years. Because in Bible prophecy, a day equals a year. Very good. So we're going to do that very quickly. 2,300 day prophecy, the decree went forth in 457 BC. We saw that a couple of nights ago when we looked at the 70 week prophecy. We saw that that 70 week prophecy in Daniel 9 took us to 34 AD. That 70 week prophecy is the first part of this 2300 year prophecy. Don't worry about that right now. We, you have the 2300, the 70 week prophecy tape is out there. You can get that. I just want to show you the big picture. From 457 BC, if you count 2300 years, what do you come to? 1844 AD. And I want to tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, beloved, that in this year, the judgment process began. In this year, the sanctuary began to be restored. And let me tell you why I know that. Because, remember the prophecy says that then the sanctuary would be cleansed or vindicated? An amazing thing began to happen in this very year, 1844. Just shortly before that, there were men of various backgrounds who suddenly had an interest in the book of Daniel. And they began to study Daniel. I'm talking about people from Asia, people from uh, America, people literally all across the planet, uh, uh, scholars and various uh, Christians began to study this prophecy of Daniel chapter 8. And you know what? They all came to the conclusion without talking to one another that something very special was going to happen in what year? 1844. And you want to know what they thought was going to happen in 1844? How many of you want to take a wild guess? When they saw 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And they saw 457 is when the decree went forth to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. 1844, that's just three years down the road. Oh no! What's going to happen? Jesus is coming. Were they right or were they wrong? Wrong. What was going to happen in 1844? Jesus was going to go somewhere, but where was he going? From holy to what? Most holy. But believe it or not, beloved, it was so amazing that people from various backgrounds rediscovered the sanctuary truth. When 1844, that time in 1844 came and nothing, and Jesus did not come and they wondered, you know, could we all have been wrong? So many different people from different backgrounds. What's going on? And they went back and restudied. They l- discovered, beloved, what you and I are talking about tonight. Wait a minute. There's a heavenly what? Sanctuary. And Jesus, when the cleansing of the sanctuary takes place, Jesus doesn't leave the sanctuary. No, he moves from the holy to the what? Most holy. And that signifies, beloved, that the judgment has what? 
begun. And when they began to view the heavenly sanctuary and the heavenly temple, they said, wait a minute, well, what's in the temple? What's the standard of judgment? And we're going to find that out in a minute. But beloved, it was so beautiful that in 1844, this truth was simultaneously discovered. It was a worldwide discovery and it was cross-denominational. This was not one denomination. There were Baptists and Catholics and Methodists, people from every denomination that were studying independent and came to the same conclusion. Now, does that sound like a miracle to you? It has to be, beloved. There's no other explanation for it. The sanctuary truth was again brought back to light. People had always been focusing on some temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden, their attention was what? Was heavenward. And true to the prophecy, unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be brought back up. The little horn will not be able to continue his deception. We'll find out who this little horn is, by the way, another night. Make sure you come. All right. I want you to notice Revelation chapter 14. Because Revelation 14, you saw a picture there of three angels in the last slide. In Revelation 14, just before the end of the world, the Bible says that three angels go flying. And they have messages. And notice what this first angel's message is. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And beloved, I got to tell you, you know, Pastor Robles is a big place. Well, we're not very big. But Paso, Templeton, and Tascadero, huge place. Do you think this angel, this message needs to go to everyone in this community? Flying to where? Or dwell or to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And beloved, there are people who are doing this. I don't want to hear it. God in his mercy is sending out an angel to let people know, listen, the judgment process is not sometime in the future. We are living in that day when? Right now. This angel continues. It says, he was flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, fear God. And give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is what? Come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Revelation 14, 6 through 7. Now this is beautiful, beloved, because listen. The standard in judgment, guess what it is? We've already learned that. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and do what? Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. When the people in 1844 said, wait a minute, heavenly sanctuary, and they by faith looked up and began to study the the content of the heavenly sanctuary, guess what they found in the heavenly sanctuary? The Ark of the Covenant. This is the standard that the judgment is going to be based upon. Are you keeping the what? The law of God, the commandments. And as they began to exit or began to look at those laws more closely because they realized we were living in a time of judgment, one commandment stuck out. For in six days the Lord what? Made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the 
Seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus 20, 11. Do you remember that first angel says, worship him that did what? Made heaven and earth and all the waters. This angel, beloved, comes forward, symbolically speaking, saying, look, the judgment has begun. The standard of the judgment is God is to fear God and keep his commandments. And then he says, worship him that made heaven and the earth. In other words, this angel points specifically to the what? Fourth commandment as a vital issue in the last days. The second angel comes along. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, let's figure out who Babylon is really quickly. Who is Babylon? Notice what the Bible says. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, this is John speaking, John the Revelator. Come hither, I will shew unto thee the judgment, the what? Judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. It says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with what? Gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. What do you think is the, is the, is the significance of her being decked with gold and precious stones? Who said it? I think I heard someone say something with an M. Merchandise. What is she wearing? Merchandise. Whose merchandise is it? It's Satan's merchandise. This woman is Satan's vendor, as it were, or, or it's his seller. He is working through this power to sell his what? Merchandise or his lies about the heavenly sanctuary. So we can conclude, beloved, that this woman, which is called Mystery Babylon, must be the same as the what? Clay of Daniel 2 and the little horn of Daniel 7 and the little horn of Daniel 8. And she is brought into judgment because of what she's selling. All right, so we're going to slip, uh, skip a couple of slides here, but let me just read this. I saw the woman drunk with the what? Blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now let me tell you this very quickly. A woman in Bible prophecy represents a spiritual kingdom. We're going to find that out later, uh, but just take my word for it now. This woman represents a spiritual kingdom, just like the little horn, just like the clay. Now let me do this. I'm just going to move through these slides because I want to get to a certain part here and get you guys out of here. All right. Babylon is what did the Bible say? Fallen. Lucifer sold merchandise in heaven that polluted the sanctuary or government of God. Through Babylon, decked with gold, Lucifer continued to deceive the world about God's government. But the second angel, or the judgment, sitting, takes away Satan's dominion of deception in the minds and the hearts of sincere seekers of truth. 
In other words, once the judgment sat in 1844, all these truths began to unfold. So many of the truths that you all are learning here tonight and through this series began to unfold after 1844. And in that way, Babylon is Babylon fell in my mind because I was under her dominion at one point, confused, not understanding who God, who God was or what his character was. And beloved, as you come to a knowledge of the truth of what the Bible really says, guess what's happening in your heart? Babylon is what? It's falling. You are now seeing the truth of God's heavenly sanctuary, of his law, and of his Sabbath. How does it fall? The Bible says, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. This is what happened in 1844. People began to look up, not literally, but look and say, wait a minute, it's a heavenly temple. There's a judgment that's begun now, and the, ju the standard of the judgment is the Ten Commandments found in the ark of his what? Of his testament. Alright, this is our last point here. The cleansing of the sanctuary. The sanctuary was defiled in two ways, beloved. One, by the righteous, but also by the wicked. How by the righteous? Listen, the blood cleansed the sins of the repentant on the Day of Atonement. You remember that when the sanctuary, during the daily services, the sanctuary would be defiled by the priests or by the, by the sinners, but then the priest would come and he would cleanse it once a year, once a year with the blood of a sacrifice. So... He shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger and cleanse it to hallow, and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. For on that day the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you. That's how the sanctuary was cleansed from the sins of the righteous. But the sanctuary was also defiled by the sins of the unrepentant. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have done what? polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So when a person did violence to the law and they said, I'm not going to confess and I'm not going to repent, what were they doing as well? Defiling the sanctuary. Well, how was the sanctuary cleansed from the sins of the wicked? The blood of Christ does not cover the sins of the unrepentant. They could not have their sins removed from the sanctuary by the blood of Christ. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we don't confess our sins, then our sins rest with us, beloved. And the unrepentant paid for their own what? Sins. For what sort of soul it shall be that is not afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. Leviticus 23-29. The way the, the, the sanctuary was cleansed from the sins of the unrepentant is that they had to pay for their own sins. Now, beloved, Jesus Christ, our heavenly high priest, wants to represent, guess who? You. And what do you do when you have a lawyer? Do you listen to that lawyer? If that lawyer says, this is what you need to do, this is what I want you to do in order to pass this judgment, do you listen to the lawyer? Yeah. You know, we don't need to have this picture of God, you know, here is God, but here's my friend Jesus. No, guess who got the lawyer for you? 
God. He sent his son to be the lawyer for you. So Jesus is here to help you to stand vindicated in the judgment. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep my commandments. I want you to keep my Sabbath. And you do that. I know my father. He sent me to represent you. You do that and the judgment will be in your behalf. How many of you would like for the judgment to be in your behalf? Beloved, we are living in the time of the judgment today. And God is saying, get ready now because I'm coming again. And my reward is what? With me.